In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Christ is risen. Christos vos crece. Christos anesti. We've gathered here this evening to sing the Moleben service to the Mother of God, the Paraclesis. This is a service that Orthodox Christians have celebrated down through the centuries, either on a regular basis or in particular time of need. And I've been reading about the life of Saint Nectarios of Aegina, great saint of the 20th century. And one of the things that characterized him was that he had a very close relationship with the Mother of God. Whenever things got difficult, whenever he had a hard time, he always would go before the icon of Mary, the Theotokos, kneel down and ask for her help. St. Nectarius lived a very difficult life. And really, when you look at the lives of the saints, most of them had a lot of trials and afflictions. And that was what part of what made them become saints. Their problems drove them to Christ and to the Theotokos. And there they found help and consolation. And it was in their weakness that they became strong. And this is very true of St. Nectarius. One of the things I've really been blessed by in in hearing these talks about St. Nectarius from from a monk named uh, Bishop or um, Father Cosmos of Australia. He's a Rokor monk who has done a lot of talks. His talks are recorded on YouTube, 81 talks, all of them about three, between three and four hours long. They're very, very interesting and very educational. So he spent almost six talks talking about the life of St. Nectarius. And I've just been gleaning a few things from these talks, but one of the, the theme that keeps running and over and over through the life of St. Nectarius is that he was continually being placed in position where he, he just had no human help, no human solution to a problem. And he would cry out to God and ask God for, God, for help, and God would help him. But the thing that has really touched me is that he was deeply shaken by these trials. He would get physically sick sometimes because of his trials, even emotionally sick. He would cry a lot. Even as a little boy, he, whenever he was hurt or disappointed, he would cry. And he never seemed to lose that gift, even when he got older. And he suffered a lot of trials. And he wasn't, he wasn't impervious to them. It wasn't like he... A lot of times we think the saints, they like live in a bubble. Or they, they have a suit of armor around them and they can't be hurt. That's not true. The saints can be hurt. But they're, in their hurting, they turn to God. And they find strength in God and strength in the Theotokos, the mother of God. So I just want to share a few of these 
instances in his life where it seemed hopeless and where he cried out to God for help. When he was about 14 years old, he was living at home with his parents and they were very poor and they uh, could not afford to send him to school and they didn't, really didn't have enough money for their families. They wanted to send him to Constantinople to get a job there and send money back home. So they, they, they took him to the docks where the ship was leaving, had no money. Now they knew this, but they had to trust in God. They trusted in God that God somehow would provide. So he sat on the dock, stood on the dock, and, uh, and the, the ship was getting ready to go, and the ship's captain was on the, on the edge there looking, and saw him and told him that he couldn't get on without a ticket, without paying. And then he ordered the ship be started and to take off. Well, the ship would not start. The engine would not go. He tried over and over and over, and the captain was starting to get really mad. Have you ever, have you ever tried to start a gas engine? Like a lawnmower, and you pull, and you pull, and you pull, and it won't start? You really get frustrated pretty quick? That's how this sea captain felt. He just was really ticked off. Started yelling and screaming and cursing, probably. While he was doing this, he looked out at this little urchin on the street, or on the dock, Nectarios, and um, he... Out of frustration or whatever, he just told the kid, look, get on the boat. Just get on the boat. So he got on the boat. And they took off. And as soon as he got on the boat, the engine started. <laughs> Another case of where God, God intervened. So he got on the boat, got started, and then came time for the ticket master to come around and, and get everybody's ticket. Well, Nectarios did not have a ticket. And this is one of the instances where he cried. He just broke down and cried. And blubbering, you know, and his face all messed up with, with tears. And he started telling the uh, people, started to, uh, to bring a crowd around him to ask, see what was going on here. And so he explained to everybody that he, he had no money, he had no ticket, he was going to Constantinople to work for somebody. And he wanted to become a preacher. That was his goal in his life. He wanted to be a preacher. He wanted to go to school. And he just poured out his heart about all this stuff. Well, a very kind man came up and saw him and noticed him and thought he had a good character. So he paid for his ticket. So God provided. So they finally made it to Constantinople. And uh, when he got there, turned out he had a letter of uh, reference for a company where he could work for, a man he could work for. When he got there, it turns out the man was not there. He had left Constantinople. So here he was, 14-year-old boy in the great city of Constantinople. No money, just the clothes on his back. And he again cried. You know, he just started crying and, and uh, asking God to help him. Well, somehow... He was referred to a person who had a job for him, who hired him at his tobacco shop. And this man was very mean. He would beat him. He would just take advantage of him. He worked him very hard. 
and really paid him hardly anything. Basically, room and board was about all he got. He couldn't even send any money back to his parents. And he worked for him for a long time, and winter came around. His clothes had worn out. His shoes were worn out. He had nothing. And he asked his employer for more money. He explained that he had his shoes and clothes were worn out, and the employer was totally heartless towards him. So he, in his childlike mind, he wrote a letter to Jesus. He just made it out and put on the envelope to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote inside the letter his problem, that he had no clothes for winter, his shoes were worn out, and his, he he'd asked his boss, and his boss wouldn't help him, and uh, he just explained it to him. And so then that... That morning, as he was going to the post office to mail the letter, he ran into a business owner across the street who was also going to the post office. And the business owner was a kind man, and he noticed that Victarius's shoes were all worn out. It was a very cold, wet morning. And so he said to him, here, let me mail the letter for you, and you go back inside and stay warm. So that's what happened. So while he was on the way to the post office, he read the letter. He was curious. He saw on the outside the envelope that said, To our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was curious. So he opened it up and he read it. And his heart was touched. And so he bought Nectarius a whole new suit of clothes and new shoes and got him all outfitted. And then, of course, the boss, when he saw these new clothes thought he must be stealing. Where did he get the money for these new clothes? And he started beating him, worse than he'd ever beat him. And of course he cried, Nectarius cried and yelled and everything, and there was made a big commotion. Well, the shop owner across the street heard all the commotion. He came over and broke it up, rescued him, and brought him to his shop, ended up employing him there, and he worked for him. And he, things went better for him in Constantinople then. Now, before he had gone to Constantinople, though, his grandmother had given him a cross that had a small piece of the real, original cross of Christ in it. And she told him that as he was ever at sea, and they were having, it looked like the ship was going to be wrecked by the storm or whatever, to take this cross and dip it in the water and say, be calm, be still, and that it would save him. So he carried this, he wore this cross and he carried it with him for a long time. Well, when he eventually left Constantinople and went to Cairo, Egypt, he had made some contacts and there were people there who were going to help him to, uh, to teach school. And even though he hadn't been to school himself, he was older. He could teach the younger grades, and they were going to give him a job teaching school and um, give him a better situation. So he, he got on a boat to go to Cairo, Egypt, and this was when they encountered a great storm, and it looked like the ship was going to be wrecked, and the, 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 the ship captain was getting the lifeboats ready. Well, Nectarius remembered the cross. And so he took his cross off and tied it to his belt. And he, dipped, he leaned way down and dipped it into the water and said, Be calm, be still. And suddenly the, calm, the storm stopped. 
Now, sadly, his cross fell in the water. And he was, he was upset that he lost his cross. He, he really treasured that cross. But anyway, the ship, the storms settled down, and, they, and they, made, they made the voyage, and they finally got to Cairo, Egypt. And when they got to the, the dock, the ship workers kept hearing a knocking noise coming from underneath the boat. They couldn't figure out what it was. And then this, you know, everybody was getting off the boat, getting ready, taken off to where they were going, but they heard this knocking noise, so the, the, he, the captain sent some people down below, and they went down under the boat, and they found it was Nectarius's cross was, had got caught on the boat. They, and he, Nectarius was walking away, going off to where he was going to go, and they hollered at him, you know, come back, come back, we found your cross. So he, he got his cross back. His life after that reminds me somewhat about the life of St. Joseph in the Old Testament. You know how Joseph prospered at everything he did, but he kept getting into trouble because of people's jealousy. He was, he was favored by his father and his mother, and his older brothers were jealous of him, so they sold him in slavery. But when he got sold into slavery, he ended up in his master's home as a slave, but he ended up, he was so good at what he did and such a good person that he got put in charge of his master's house. So things worked out really good until his master's wife took a liking to him and accused him of sinning. And then his his master turned against him and threw him in jail. Well, he ended up in jail, and then he ended up being in charge of the jail. Wherever he went, God prospered him. And St. Nectarius was that way. He, he, he did well as a school teacher. He eventually was, or, was consecrated as a monk in Egypt. And he was eventually... Uh, very shortly after that, he made the secretary of the monastery, which was a very important job. Even though, even though he was pretty young and hadn't been there very long. Then after that... He was ordained a deacon and then a priest and eventually a bishop. And he was made secretary of the Patriarchate of Alexandria. So he was like the chancellor, the right-hand man of the Patriarch of Alexandria, whose name was Sophronius. He was highly favored by Sophronius and loved by him. So he, everything was going well for him. Every time... Every, Time he got a promotion, he did really well, and he kept getting uh, more awards and recognition and more responsibility. So one day, the patriarch invited him into his office and wanted him to introduce him to somebody. And it was a very wealthy man who who was a, a church man who wanted to help support the church. He introduced him to him, and they got to talking and talked about how, where he came from, how he ended up in Cairo and, and all that. And, and Nectarius told the story about when he was a little boy and he had gotten on this boat and uh, didn't have a ticket, and he cried. And somebody, a real nice man, paid his ticket for him, and then he eventually made it to Cairo. And, then, and the, as he was telling the story, the man began to cry. Because it turns out that he was the uncle of the man who had paid his ticket. And the man, the, his nephew, had told him all about this little boy 
how a special person he was. And they had, ever since that story was told, they had made it their heart's desire to find this little boy. And there he was, right in the same room. That was a beautiful story about how God uses people, connections. So he did really well, became a bishop in Egypt, but then some of the clergy got jealous of him. Same way like when Joseph, you know, people got jealous of him and and falsely accused him. Well, some of the priests began to say that Tartarus was trying to get Sophronius' job as a patriarch of Alexandria. But that's what he was doing. He was plotting behind his back to become the patriarch of Alexandria. And unfortunately, Sophronius listened to them And after a period of time, he hardened his heart against Nectarios and he dismissed him in a very non-canonical way. Before this happened, though, Nectarios had been preaching as a bishop. He had been serving the church. He gave away all the money that he got, he always just turned around and gave to the poor. And he just did all kinds of acts of kindness, and he continued to write uh, theological papers, and, and he was preparing to, a book that he was going to eventually publish. He was doing all these really good things, and that is part of the reason that he fell into disfavor, because he was doing so much good, and the others were jealous of him. So eventually Sophronius just wrote him a letter just says he was dismissed as bishop, he should leave Egypt, and he, he did it in a non-canonical way in the sense that he, he gave him no trial, he did not defrock him, and he didn't release him to another bishop, another jurisdiction. He just told him to leave. And so he was basically became a bishop without a diocese. Would be like a parish, like a priest who was dismissed from his parish and then told, "Go away," and not assigned to another parish. Uh, so he was a bishop without a diocese. They gave him a small amount of money for his his fare to get back to get to leave Egypt. So he ended up going to Greece to Athens, Greece. When he got to Athens, Greece, he was almost in the same situation he was when he had gotten to Constantinople as a little boy. He had just enough money to pay his fare on the boat, but when he got to Athens, he had no money for food, no apartment, nothing, and no prospect for how he was going to make a living. So... What did he do? He prayed to the mother of God. We see this over and over and over in his life. Whenever he's in a difficult situation, he prayed to the mother of God. So he prayed to the mother of God. And thankfully, he was able to find an apartment, uh, a woman who had a room to rent. And she did not require deposit or any first month's rent or anything. She just took it on, on goodwill and he was able to move in. So he moves in, 
And here he is, a bishop with no diocese. And he has no, no commission to go out and do anything, be a part of a church or anything. And he um, got to the point, you know, back in, in the Orthodox Church in these countries, you could, priests could get paid for doing services. Like you do a baptism and you might get paid something by the family. For a wedding, you might get paid something. That was how they were supported. So he earned a little bit of money here and there as a, as a clergyman, but he got to the point where he couldn't buy, couldn't pay his rent. He got behind in his rent, and he couldn't pay for any food. And his landlady noticed, said at one time, noticed that for three days he had not left his apartment. And she got concerned. So she went up to his room and found that he was on his knees before the icon of the Mother of God, praying and crying. And he looked very thin and gaunt. You could tell that he hadn't eaten for three days. And he, he was crying and, and apologizing that he could not pay the rent. Well, this woman, she had a, a relative who lived in Cairo. So she sent a letter to him asking about this bishop, Nectarios, what kind of person he was. What? She couldn't understand why she had a bishop living in her apartment who couldn't support himself. You know, bishops typically, you know, they, they have the best of everything. So she, she sent the letter. She got a letter back from her family describing what a great saint he was and all the holy things he had done, all the good works he had done, and with no explanation for how he got into the problem that he's in. So from that moment on, she became, became a benefactor to the saint. And he prayed for her and asked that the mother of God would continually, forever, intercede for her. So he was able to get by for a while, and things got better. <clears throat> and he... He was always trying to get his situation solved. A lot of times people say the saints, you know, they just, whatever happens, happens, they just let it go and they just let it roll right off the bat, you know, without any trying or effort to make it, make it right. And that was not true for St. Antaros. He, he, he would go to the, the local bishop of Athens and, and, and submit his case and ask for the situation to be remedied. And he always, he would, before he would do anything, though, he would always bow down before the icon of the Mother of God and ask for her help, ask her to go before him. <clears throat> so he kept on trying to get, get this situation resolved. And he finally started to make some, some headway in that he was able to get permission or get assigned to be a preacher in the city of Athens and in the surrounding areas. <clears throat> now, when, when he was first assigned as a preacher, he went to this church where he was assigned, and the first two times that he preached, there was a very, very small crowd, and they were all there to abuse him and accuse him and yell at him. They laughed, they made jokes, they called him names, 
And each these first two sermons, after he got done with the sermon, he went back into the altar and nearly collapsed from emotional pain. And he wept and cried. And again, he showed that he was, he was a human being, that he suffered, and that he, 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 his heart was soft, and it hurt him to be accused and to be made fun of and ignored. And he really, he prayed to the he got down on his knees and prayed to the mother of God and said, maybe, maybe I should just go to a monastery. And each time that had to happen, the mother of God assured him that no, he needed to keep preaching. So the third time, he gave a sermon. <clears throat> and in the meantime, some people had come from Cairo who knew him there and had begun to tell the truth about who he was in Athens. And so this third time, a large crowd came of people who had heard about the truth about him, and they gathered, and he began to preach, and, and they began to listen, and he touched their hearts, and at the end, they just cheered and <laughs> praised God for what he had said. And from that point on, he became the preacher of Athens. And people began to flock to him to whenever he, wherever he was, whenever he was preaching, people would come and hear him preach. <clears throat> but it really struck me how when those people treated him that way, it didn't just roll off his back. You know, he went into the altar and he, he almost broke down physically. Have you, ever, have you ever been hurt that bad where you just felt like just totally collapsing? I have. And he felt that. And many times in his life, many times, much more than you and I will ever suffer. <clears throat> but he always turned to Christ and he turned to the mother of God and found strength. He's a great example of finding strength in your weakness. He never lost that childlike ambition to preach, to preach salvation to sinners, to save souls. That was what he was all about. And so, even though he was tempted many times just to walk away and join a monastery and and just be with God, he kept true to his calling. Finally, after preaching for about four years and having quite a reputation, he got assigned a job as the dean of a school for boys who were preparing to be priests. So here's an amazing thing. that He could have been a bishop in a diocese, affecting a small number of priests and churches. He ended up being in a school that would prepare priests for the whole nation of Greece. And a very influential school. And because of this, he was great, have, able to have a greater impact on the Church of Greece than he had been if he had been a diocesan bishop. When he, when he began... At the seminary, it was, I call it a seminary, they called it a, a priest school. Um, 
It was in bad shape. The, the, the students were very di- undisciplined. Many of them uh, were not wearing beards because they were being afflicted, infected by the West, by the Roman Catholics, and they were, they were shaving and they weren't wearing their cassocks. So he, <clears throat> he, got, he, he installed that discipline in the, in the um, school and he brought a real sense of spirituality to the school. One day, two boys were brought to his office because they had been fighting, actually fist fighting. And they came into his office and he was so distraught that this had happened. And he, he thought it over and he prayed and then he said to them, because of what you've done and how this has disrupted our school, I am going to discipline myself. I'm going to fast, pray and fast for three days because this has happened. And I want you, too, to come back here before noon to tell me if you have gotten this fixed up between the two of you. Because apparently in his meeting in the office, they, they were totally irreconcilable with each other. Well, they were shocked when he said that he was going to discipline himself. They asked him, would you repeat that? He said, yes, I'm going to discipline myself because of your fighting. So for three days he prayed and fasted. And the two boys were reconciled and the whole spirit of the school was changed. While he was at the seminary, one time the janitor got sick. He couldn't do his work. And back then, they didn't have pension plans and, and sick days and time off and all that stuff that we have nowadays. So when this man had to be off for a few weeks because of some illness, St. Nectarius secretly did the job of the janitor. The, the, the church secretary noticed things were still being kept up and clean, and she asked who... Who did you get to replace the janitor? And he said, someone I trusted. (laughs) So for several weeks he did that, and he actually got physically sick himself from doing that because he was doing all the other stuff that he did as well. And one morning, he was, real early in the morning, he was down on his knees cleaning the, the bathroom floors and cleaning the toilets and the janitor was getting better. He was gone through some surgery or therapy, whatever. He was better, and he, he was coming back just to see how things were going. And he, and he was shocked to see the bishop down on his knees in his cassock, scrubbing the floor, washing the toilets. And, and the bishop looked at him and said, don't worry, I'm not going to take your job. <laughs> but he asked him not to tell anyone. And, that he's doing this. Do not tell anyone until I am gone that I've done this. And so the story was not told until after St. Nectarius had passed away. That's just another example of his humility and his love for the students and his love for people. I want to tell you just a couple more stories about his life. 
While he was at the school, he began to be approached by a few women who wanted to start a monastery. And there was eventually about five women who developed this, this group and they wanted to be, um, be nuns. And they found a deserted monastery on the island of Aegina. And they visited it and they just decided this, this is where it's got to be. We, this is where our monastery is going to be. And so they went and they told Father uh, or Saint Nectarius <clears throat> about it. And he didn't like the idea at all at first because it was, it was re- in a remote, desolated area. He, he was afraid that they would be uh, uh, vulnerable to people who might try to hurt them, that they just would have problems. He, he didn't like the idea at first, but they... They, they persisted, they visited it several times, they persisted, and so finally they asked him to come to Aegina and look at it himself. So he was coming on a boat to the island of Aegina, and while he was on the boat, on the island, there was this young man who was demon-possessed, who was, had, he was, he was possessed by a demon that had the um, gift of divining, that is, of being able to tell people things that you would think they wouldn't know, kind of like a prophet. And so this this demon-possessed boy began to cry out, the great bishop is coming to our island. He's going to build the biggest monastery. And things like that, just on and on and on. It's all this stuff about this bishop coming, he's going to build a monastery and all that. And so um, the local priest hears about this uproar and goes and finds this, this kid and confirms what he's saying. And so they're on the dock waiting for this ship to come. And there was a flag on the ship that indicated an important person was on the ship. A certain flag that they would post that would indicate a dignitary, a governor, someone very important was coming. So they saw the ship coming, got close, and it ter- turns out it was Bishop uh, Nectarius. And so the priest told him about this boy who had been predicting that he was coming, that he was going to start a monastery and all this. And so Bishop Nectarius asked that the boy be brought to him. And when, the boy, when they brought the boy in front of him, he was, he was foaming at the mouth and this, this demonic stuff happening. He took his bishop's, mind, bishop's staff and held it up. And he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, the crucified, come out of him. And immediately the demon was cast out of this young boy. And he became whole. He became himself again. And also, a woman who had a hemorrhage of several years came up and touched the hem of his garment, the hem of his cassock, and was immediately healed. What we see in this story is that the Bible coming alive, because we, we saw in the book of Acts, the same thing happened and in the Gospels. The woman who, uh, who touched the hem of the Lord's garment and was healed of her hemorrhage, and then there was... A, in the book of Acts, we have Paul who was being followed around by this girl 
who kept saying, these men are prophets of God. These men are servants of God and they proclaim the good news of God. Just harassing him over and over, following him around, saying all this stuff. And Paul finally, after a while, just got irritated and turned and, and he did the same thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of him and, and cast the, the demon of divination out of this girl. Another thing that happened was that there was a drought on this island. It had not rained for three years on this island. And uh, the, the mayor of the city and several people came to the saint and asked, they heard that he was a miracle worker. And he said, no, I'm not a miracle worker. Jesus Christ works miracles. And they said, we want you to pray for us that that this drought will be stopped. So he said, I will come back next week on Sunday at your church and we'll serve the liturgy and we will pray together about this drought. So they came back the next week, they prayed And then after the service, they went out to the abandoned monastery that they were looking at for the women. And as they were, uh, after they had done looking at the monastery, as they were getting on the boat to go back to the island, it got very overcast and began to rain. And finally, after three years, it it finally rained. So many, many miracles uh, assigned to St. Nectarios, but the great strength that he had was his faith in God and his devotion to the Mother of God. So as we gather here weekly and sing this Malevin service to the Mother of God, let us deepen our hearts to pray more fervently, to believe, to, to really bring our cares and our troubles to the Mother of God. Not just in a formal way, but in a very personal way. Let us Bring what's on our hearts to her and ask her to intercede for us before Christ our God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ is risen.